Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have sent our living hope. Please open our hearts and minds today to receive your word as we look through the scriptures to learn more about who Jesus is and what that means for us today. Help us to follow your chosen one in all things. Help us to chase after your glory. Help us to be attentive to what you are saying to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. So we are in Mark chapter 3. And if you want to follow along with me most of the time, I will also be in Deuteronomy 18 and 13. But to get started, it's my rebirthday. And actually, yesterday was my rebirthday. What that means is, 21 years ago, and actually 21 years. Uh, 16 hours and 31 minutes ago, I first knelt down at the altar and said, Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. Please forgive me of my sins. So, sorry for that loud exclaim from my throat, but it was 21 years ago I became a Christian. And... What is nice about it, at least if you're somebody who really likes sweets, is every year I like to celebrate by baking a cake so that I can share it with other people. And I usually have some sort of theme in there of some sort, like this is a white cake with white frosting, and then it has chocolate words. So it's, oh, I've been made clean, but I still have some things staining me. So, if you're desperate for a piece of cake, it will be sitting out there after service. There's this one, too, so if you want, we run out there. I have more. It's okay. But that path to become a Christian, I was only 16 years old. And there were a lot of struggles leading up to that January 9th evening. Because... I started attending church, specifically youth group, when I was 15, and I was that kid in youth group who had to challenge everything, because as we all know, at the age of 15, we have the whole world figured out. We know everything. So I know when people are giving me lies or trying to tell me things that I know can't be true. So I would challenge all of the youth leaders, the pastor, any Christian really. Do you really believe? How can you believe? But I also was a 15-year-old dealing with chronic anxiety, being worried about the most trivial things to the point that going on vacation with family, we'd be gone for five days and on the fifth day I'd go, did I leave the oven on? Even if I hadn't used the oven in weeks, 
I'd be worried maybe I left it on before we left the house days earlier. And sometimes, middle of summer, did I get my homework done? So here I am thinking, I worry about these things. I don't need to add another worry to my plate, like, can I please God? I even went through a short time when I thought, oh, maybe it's possible I'm the Christ. Because I didn't have any pride in me at all. And then I started reading some of the prophecies about who this Messiah would be. And I was like, okay, it's probably not me, but there's still hope. (laughs) And then I misunderstood a passage about John the Baptist never touching alcohol and thought it was about Jesus, the Messiah. And I went, oh, I've had alcohol since I was a little kid. I guess I can't be the Messiah. That's what it took to convince me I couldn't be the Messiah. But when the Holy Spirit finally finished breaking down all of my own ideas and fears and misunderstandings, there was Jesus right there, and he just gave me a great big bear hug and said, you're mine, son. Man, and it still hits me. I'm going to cry. But when Jesus grabbed me 21 years ago, he has not let go. As much as I have tried to wiggle away, go running in different directions, wander off on my own, he has held me. It's not my faithfulness. It's his. This is why every year on January 9th, I did bake these yesterday, I make a cake and I say, hey, I found new life in Christ. Celebrate with me. This is the day I was born again into God's chosen family, the church, grafted into Israel by his blood. But what does this have to do with our passage today? So again, we're in Mark 3, starting in verse 7. I will be jumping to Deuteronomy 18 soon. But here, we're seeing a transition from Jesus setting up the foundation of his ministry to now preparing to share his ministry with his followers. It's no longer going to be him doing all the work. He's going to be using his friends, his disciples, to reach out to Israel and eventually the world. So, Mark chapter 3 Verse 7, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed him from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Edumea, and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. We're going to stop there. We see people were coming from all over Israel. Mark is telling us with the places he lists all the way from the south up to the north, from the east to the west. Well, I suppose for you it's east to the west. We are seeing people coming from all of Israel. Specifically, we are seeing people representing all 12 tribes coming from the original promised land from the time of Joshua and the Judges. 
and they are coming to see if this is the promised prophet like Moses, this Messiah. Has he finally come? What are they looking for? Deuteronomy 18, starting in verse 15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is him you shall listen. Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, or see this great fire any more, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, They are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. So we're seeing a bunch of people who heard this promise, and they go chasing after Jesus. But what are they chasing? Verse 8 tells us they heard all that he was doing. He was healing paralytics and shriveled hands, things nobody can do. He was casting out evil spirits. He was even rebuking the leadership, both government and religious. And he was preaching with boldness and authority. They were chasing the miracles more than the miracle maker. Because as we continue, verse 9, And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. They're actually putting their Messiah in danger. We need to remember that these are scared people. So to be fair to them, we're talking about people who have been hurting, suffering, worrying about what the government or their religious leaders or even spiritual forces were doing to them. These are people having to deal with corrupt government, corrupt teachers, with illness always around them. Sounds kind of familiar. And here is someone who's standing up to all of them and healing illnesses, casting out demons and evil spirits. So we get a little bit of an idea of what Jesus was saying when he said to get a boat ready. If we remember from last time when Scott preached, what were the religious leaders doing? He healed a man with a shriveled hand. And what did they do? They started plotting how they might destroy him. So he has, on the one hand, the religious and government leaders wanting to kill him. And now, on the other hand, he has people who say they love him inadvertently almost hurting or killing him. He might want a place to get away. But we also know, what else does Jesus do with boats? He takes a nap. No, he also 
frequently taught from the boats. So he can get away from everybody. He doesn't want to stop healing people. Jesus loves healing people. But what was his mission? To preach the word. So he needs a boat not only to get away from the people, but also get to a place where he can actually teach. We continue in verse 11. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. The spirits know who Jesus is. They recognize that he is the eternal Son of God. Something that most people miss. Sometimes especially because of the miracles. Because what did we say? People were chasing the miracles. Not the miracle maker. But why did he tell these spirits to not make him known? Isn't he here to spread the truth and let people know God is finally among us? It's not quite like what Scott preached a few weeks ago. He'd tell people, okay, you're healed, now go do your thing, but don't tell anybody who did this. Partially that was because his time had not yet come. Here, it's because what are demons and evil spirits? They are those who follow the devil, Satan. What does he do? He'll tell the truth, but he will always twist the truth. He will tell lies. Why should we expect his followers, demons and evil spirits, to do the same? So Jesus is saying, hey, I don't want you to spread false information. I don't want you to twist what you know about me. Yes, the Son of God is here. Hey, he's going to give you everything you want. He's going to make sure your life is perfect from now on. Oh, if you mess up just once, you're going to burn forever. These are some of those lies. But we see they don't deviate from what the father of lies has been doing. Throughout all of this, you can hear what Satan said in Genesis chapter 3. Did God actually say? You will not surely die. You will be like God. So hold on to that for a moment. We're going to get back into this. But first, verse 13 And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. We remember we are expecting the promised prophet like Moses. And here is Jesus going up on a mountain just like Moses. But he's not going up to get God's commandments. He is being the commander, commissioning his generals. Jesus basically chose his representatives for the 12 tribes. Instead of having all 12 tribes around him, he's taking 12 representatives, kind of like Moses, got his judges from each of the tribes and clans. So now... We see that 
Uh, we remember, there we go, that Mark is pointing, we do have all the tribes represented in this area, and he's only taking these 12 so that they can go back into the promised land. <clears throat> Excuse me. Let me get some water. <clears throat> so he's sending out his representatives for each tribe <clears throat> so that they can spread his name. He's sending them out. Apostle means one sent out. Now, what does he expect these apostles, these representatives sent out to do? Firstly, they spend time with Jesus. They learn from him. Secondly, they preach. They are to share the good news of God, that his Messiah has come. And finally, they are sent to heal and cast out demons and evil spirits. So now we're going to jump back to Deuteronomy 18 again, because the next few verses after what I read before, we get a warning. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. And if we jump back a few chapters to chapter 13, because there are some who will try to say, oh, this is just so you know who's not a false, or yeah, how to tell a false Messiah from a real Messiah. Chapter 13, verses 1 through 4, If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass, and if he says, let us go after other gods, which you have not known, and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice. And you shall serve him and hold fast to him. We have many prophets, apostles, teachers, and dreamers today. And they often start out very well saying, we need to spend time with Christ. We need to learn from him. And this all sounds very good. But then they spend more time focusing on miracles, signs, and wonders, dreams, and visions. At best, they preach a gospel light. Because you will have these people who will get up there and tell you, how great the Bible is, and then they never pick a Bible up. Instead, they spend most of their time, here's this prophecy, here's this vision, here's this dream. Come look at these signs and wonders that we're doing. And they spend all their time focusing on these and never pick up a Bible. And then they teach things like you are basically a good person. 
But remember, if you're a Christian, you have to have dreams and visions or perform miracles and signs and wonders. Some of them even teach, essentially, you are little gods, which does come out of the Bible. Jesus quotes it. But these are people who tend to say, you're not only made in God's image, you are supposed to be like God. Did God really say? You will not surely die, you will be like God. Many of today's so-called teachers, prophets, and apostles are chasing after the miracles and encouraging their followers to chase the miracles and not the miracle maker. They are listening to the wrong spirits. You will often be able to tell because they will say things not like the Holy Spirit, he said. They will say, it said, sometimes. Sometimes they admit that they are listening to the Spirit. They don't always say the Holy Spirit. The real point here is they tend to teach things that go against what Scripture actually says. Many of today's so-called teachers, prophets, and apostles are chasing these miracles. And then they will say, oh, you say we're a supposed prophet, but you probably want to follow Deuteronomy 13.5 right after you say they're a false prophet. You want to kill them, don't you? Did we ever say we want to kill them? No, God says they'll die. And, oh, you know what? He did tell ancient Israel in the promised land, yes, while you are living in the promised land, if you find a false prophet, kill them. Drive them from your midst. Are we living in the promised land? No. How many times did we see the apostles kill somebody for being a false teacher, false prophet, a lying person? None. What example do we see? How about Ananias and Sapphira? Everybody's giving all that they have to the church. And they come forward and they say, oh yeah, we gave you everything. Okay, we secretly held some back. And then what happened? God killed them. They died on the spot. Apostles, the other disciples, they didn't do anything. God did it. We don't try to kill people, but we hear that other Why? Did God really say, oh, you will not surely die? But they still try to excuse it. These are people who just tried prophesying under their own will. That doesn't make them a false prophet. It just means they got it wrong. What did Deuteronomy say? It's the exact opposite. It doesn't say, oh, they might occasionally get something wrong. It means they did it in their own will. No, if they give a false prophecy, they are a false prophet. Did God really say? Perhaps you've heard the rebuttal or you're thinking it yourself. That uh, (laughs) I want to take a nap right now. No, that is not what you've heard. No. That 
We are questioning God's word because these are people, they say it right back at us. Did God really say? Why are you questioning God? You are doing what the devil did, but we just point them back. No, God's word says. We can always fall back on God's word. So we can see these people keep saying over and over again, the same lies. They're listening to the same spirits. Did God really say, you will not surely die? You can be like God. So now maybe you're thinking, people make mistakes. They come from sinful past, but God forgives them. He changes them, and this is true. In fact, you may have heard of Benny Hinn. He is one of these preachers. He's a prosperity preacher. He preaches miracles. He points to the miracles. Most people can even tell you he's more in it for the money than anything, even with some recent repentance he's done. But this isn't about Benny Hinn. This is about his nephew, Costi Hinn, who worked for him, who did fundraisers for him, who worked behind the scenes for years with his uncle Benny. But today... He's a pastor in a church teaching the true gospel and the danger of these prophets and apostles who are out here today. And this kind of points us back to Mark chapter 3 that he appointed the twelve. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. We should first start by remembering who is writing this book. This is Mark, or John Mark. He is Peter's disciple and friend. And we need to think, where do we read more about John Mark? Acts chapters 13 and 15. This is the John Mark who went off with Barnabas and Paul. And before they got too far, he was, whew, this is hard, I'm going back. And then in chapter 15, tries to go with them again. And what happens? Paul says, whoa, he abandoned us. I don't want him. No. And it causes a fight between Paul and Barnabas. And what happens? They go their separate ways, taking different people with them. Why is this important? Mark turned his back on his friends, abandoned those who love him. So who does he understand the most? Probably Peter, the one who denied his Lord and fled on the night he was, or the day he was crucified. So we can see why Peter might be listed first. Okay, here's my friend, my mentor. We get each other. We've both done this. Also, we know Peter was one of the big leaders, followed along with James and John, the sons of Zebedee, the sons of thunder. Most people believe this is because they were great preachers. They could get up there and they could get everybody, whoo, yeah, amen, preach it, brother. Or because they were brothers, and what do brothers do? Fight. But probably because they're preachers. So we have these three, and then we 
also have at least four others, Andrew, Peter's brother, Thomas, Bartholomew, who is also called Nathaniel, which I'll point out, his full name is probably Nathaniel Bartholomew, because Bar means son of. So he would be Nathaniel, son of Ptolemy, Ptolemy, one of those things. Could be the son of the landowner. And then also possibly Philip. I point out these four with the other three because we find out that these guys were probably all fishermen. These are the seven we see in John 21 after Christ's resurrection. They were all out fishing. So these are going to be a rough around the edges, probably a little foul-mouthed sailors of their day, prideful, hungry men, power-hungry men. And if you say, what do you mean, power-hungry, let's remember James and John. Lord, in your kingdom, can we sit at your right and left hand? These are the people that you might not necessarily want to be around, but they get the job done. We know they were businessmen because they, they got fish. You have to sell the fish to people. But this leads also to Matthew, also known as Levi, who we know was a tax collector. Judas Iscariot may have been a tax collector, may have just been a businessman. But we typically lump these together because tax collectors are people who are seen as traitors to the people. They have turned their back on their brothers. They said, okay, Rome is cool because I can get rich. Their money was not allowed in the temple. They were seen as dirty traitors. We know they're more interested in money and power. They're not afraid to cheat, to turn on their brethren. <clears throat> and now I give a little disclaimer. I'll definitely start stepping on some toes as I go through the rest of these. Judas Iscariot. Whether or not he was a tax collector, we know for his day that he was the open-minded social justice warrior who cared more about the poor than anything else. Remember, he's the one in John 12 when Mary anointed Jesus' feet with the expensive perfume. We could have sold this and given the money to the poor, says the thief stealing from the ministry. It just leaves us with James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, the other Judas, and Simon, the zealot. We're pretty sure James and the other Judas may have been businessmen, may have just been farmers. Either way, these are the guys who are more down to earth. They're the hard workers. They earn their way. They don't expect a handout from people. They can do things on their own. And you know what? They also have some opinions on politics and religion. All right, let's, let's have a good discussion, maybe a little argument. It could be fun. They were usually the ones who would, whoa, did you hear what those guys said? And get the other disciples up and... And then Simon the Zealot. He was definitely into politics. The Zealots were religious, yes. But they were the ones out there, getting involved in politics, constantly teaching things like making Israel great again. Sorry, not sorry. Let's get rid of all the people who aren't like us. 
Let's make Israel for Israel. In other words, who did Jesus choose? He chose a bunch of ragtag sinners who all abandoned their Lord. One even turning him over and betraying him. Yet I hear Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 6.11. And such were some of you. Remember my story? <laughs> I was the crazy, stupid one, chasing my own ideas, my own misunderstandings, giving in to my own fears. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Yes, and hallelujah, God can change us. But we should still be wary of those who teach a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you have received, let him be accursed. Galatians 1, 7 through 9. No, the calling we have is not to chase miracles, not to chase release or relief. We realize we have been chosen to spread the gospel. We have been chosen to spread the teachings of of Jesus Christ. How do we know? I told you, he went up a mountain to commission his generals. The Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Revelation 19.10 So if anybody says we need a prophetic word, here it is. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Scripture is prophecy. I don't know if any of you know who Justin Peters is, but on January 1st, he uploaded a video, a prophetic word for 2021, and he spent six minutes reading Scripture, pointing us to the God of the Bible and to Jesus. And he had advice for 2021. Do not be afraid, I have overcome the world. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives. The whole point. Our prophecy has been given to us through the word of God. <clears throat> but we also live in a culture that tells us sharing your faith is bad. You can't teach about Jesus. Just let people be who they are. Even coming most recently from the Pope. But again, 
We turn to this, verse 20. Then he went home and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying he is out of his mind. He went home, most likely, to Peter's house in Capernaum. And the crowds were still crushing in so close. They were keeping Jesus and his disciples from eating. They were still missing the point of love your neighbor as yourself. They missed that God was literally with them because they were chasing the miracles and not the miracle maker. Yet Jesus persisted in his ministry. And his mom thought he'd gone crazy. His half-siblings were saying he's out of his mind. So now... We have Jewish leaders plotting to kill him. We have people who love him putting his life in danger. We have evil spirits trying to twist his teachings. And now his own family is doubting him. And yet, Jesus persisted in his ministry. What can we glean from this? Two big things. We know, as we read and heard in Matthew 28, 20, God never stops. He is still working out his plan. He is with us always until the end of the age. And secondly, we will have people who oppose us either for not following modern understandings of religion or science or going against what society is teaching or maybe for being crazy enough for believing crazy myths and stories or even changing our lives so drastically that all of a sudden we're living against societal norms. And it can be scary And it can be intimidating. It can make us want to go and hide. Shy away from sharing our faith. I can hear some of the thoughts. I've had those thoughts. I'm not good enough. Who do I think I am to tell people they're sinners? What if they make fun of me? Do they even want to hear the message I have to give them? Or maybe you're listening to the other side. You deserve that miracle. You deserve the best things in this life. You deserve the accolades. What are we chasing? The easy parts of Christianity, the miracles... Or are we realizing we are chosen by God? He has promised he will help us by his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will give us wisdom, will give us knowledge, will remind us what he has said in his word. How can he remind us if we are not reading his word? We can chase miracles that come from touching Christ. 
where we can realize that being Christ's chosen people means he's already chased us. We're clawing and scratching and begging to touch the hem of his robe, to just touch his hand for a moment. He's going, no, I want all of you. I'm standing here with my arms open. I don't want to touch you. I want to hold you. You are my son. You are my daughter. By ourselves, we run from the things of God, chasing our own interests or thinking we need to do something to please God, we seek the mountaintop experience because that's where everything good happens, right? Did Moses stay on the mountain? Did Jesus stay on the mountain? No. God has come down from the mountain because he has chosen to change his chosen to be more like Christ. The biggest disease we have is our sin. It can only be removed by the grace we have by faith in the blood of Christ. Without that, we will chase whatever we think will make us happy or whole instead of realizing that God's chosen one is the only one who can heal and complete us. Let's not chase after the miracles. Let's seek the miracle maker and his peace and healing. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Matthew 6.33 If you do not know this peace of Christ, I invite you to seek him and have your own rebirth day. Or at the very least, I invite you to just trust him more. Put your faith in the faithful one. Realize your sinfulness, your own breaking of God's law. And believe that Jesus' death on the cross brought you forgiveness. His resurrection gives you hope of everlasting life with him. People might think you're out of your mind. They might even make fun of you or persecute you. But Jesus warned us because he knew it's better to know what's coming and prepare than to begin under the assumption that your life is immediately going to be better. In this world, you will have trials, tribulations, trouble. But fear not. I have overcome the world. Jesus promised this life would be hard. But he also promised he is with us. Are you chasing the miracles? The easy things? Are you misunderstanding who God is? Or do you realize He chose you? You don't have to chase. 
He did the chasing. He came to us. So if you're going through everything this past year has brought us, just remember, you can rest in one thing. He came down. He chose us. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that even though we chase after our own dreams, our own desires, our own misunderstandings, we don't go after the things for you. You have come after us. You didn't stay up on your holy mountain expecting us to work our way to you. You came down to us, and even when we mistreat you and misunderstand you, you are still reaching out. You are still saying, no, I want your heart your soul, your mind, I want everything. And you don't expect us to meet it. You help us get there. We thank you so much for your love. We thank you so much for sending your son. We thank you for the gift that is your son and salvation and forgiveness and grace. And when we pass the offering basket and we offer our gifts back to you, we just ask that you use our gifts to continue growing your kingdom, that it will be a blessing in your name, and that we can do all things in your name. We love you and we thank you again for choosing us. In Jesus' name, amen.